Welcome to The Family Room, where we offer hope, encouragement, and wisdom centered on biblical truth and Catholic teaching, because God's kingdom begins at home. Now welcome your hosts, Mari, John, and Craig, right here on AM 1160, The Quest. Welcome back, Family Room listeners, to another week of The Family Room with me, Craig Wiesmeyer, my co-host, John Gordon, and Mari Cleveland. How's everybody? We're great. How are you today? I'm awesome. Excellent. Excellent. Fantastic. Uh, Can't tell you how excited I am about this week, folks. Um, We have a guest on our show that's not only nationally known, but internationally known, and has done some incredible things for our faith and done some incredible things for the church overall. So I look forward to introducing Dr. Ralph Martin. But before we do, Mari, would you please begin in a prayer? Sure. As you guys know, here on The Family Room, we always offer everything first to the Lord. So we will do that this today as well. So in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Spirit. Amen. amen. Heavenly Father, we just first of all praise you. We praise you because you are our Abba Father. You are the one who um, we can always count on. You are... Um, are all in all, and you are our Jehovah Jireh. You always provide for us. So, Lord, we thank you for all the ways you have provided for us through your son, through your church. And as we come together today to listen to Dr. Martin, to listen to his Holy Spirit-inspired words and his experience and his wisdom, Lord, we just ask that you would prick our hearts with those things that you want us to know and to hear, and most importantly, that you help us to have the courage and the um the the will to walk in your will because that is our that is our goal and as we all lead our families and grow stronger in our marriages lord we just ask that you would give us the ability to do that and saint john paul the great we ask you to pray for us pray for us amen father and son holy spirit Amen. amen All right, listeners, as I said, we have a Dr. Ralph Martin. Some of you are very familiar. For those of you who are not, um, Dr. Martin is president of Renewal Ministries, which can be reached at www.renewalministries.net, which is an organization devoted to Catholic renewal and evangelization. Renewal Ministries is the sponsor of The Choices We Face, with hopefully you've heard on EWTN. It's widely viewed weekly on Catholic television and radio, distributed throughout the world, and engages in a wide variety of mission work in more than 30 countries. He's also Director of Graduate Theology Programs and Evangelization and a Professor of Theology at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in the Archdiocese of Detroit. He holds a doctorate in theology from the Angelicum University in Rome. And Pope Benedict XVI appointed Dr. Martin as a consultor to the Pontifical Council for the New Evangelization, where he currently serves. He was also appointed as a theological expert for the Synod on the New Evangelization. And for those of you who have heard his books, one of the greatest books that we've all listened to or or read is The Fulfillment of All Desire, a guidebook for the journey to God based on the wisdom of the saints. And he's written many other books on spirituality, evangelization, as well as many articles and scholarly and popular publications. And his latest book, which we are going to be interviewing him on today, is A A Church in Crisis, A Pathways Forward. He uh, and his wife, Anne, reside in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and are the parents of six and grandparents of 19. God bless you all. That's amazing. So welcome, Dr. Martin. We really appreciate you being here. 
Well, it's good to be in the family room because, as you can tell, I'm in the middle of a family. (laughs) (laughs) Some might say the heart of the family, so that's awesome. Do us a favor, if you don't mind, because, again, I have uh, knowledge of you from many years of being around the charismatic renewal, but some people may not. Would you just give us a brief history of kind of how you came into ministry, how, you know, the enlivenment of the Holy Spirit came into your life? Because you were doing, you were a graduate of Notre Dame, postgraduate, I believe, Harvard. But can you explain that process a little bit? Yeah, well, I, I grew up. You know, as a as a devout Catholic, I I really grew up in a good Catholic family, and uh, my grandparents came from Ireland, and they put a high emphasis on the faith and on education, and so my parents followed in the footsteps. And uh, I'm a little distracted by a woodpecker pecking on our house right now, but in the name of Jesus, I command you, woodpecker, to go. Okay. Uh, and, and that's and, how it's done, folks. <laughs> yeah, we got woodpeckers up here in Michigan. Uh, and they're looking for bugs this time of year. But anyway, uh, but when I when I got to high school, I began to ask questions, and I began to discover there's a whole world out there beyond the, the Catholic education that I had. And, and when it came time to go to college, I, I, I told my parents I wanted to go to a secular university because I had enough Catholic education. And they said, well, you can do that, but if you want any financial support from us, you have to go to a Catholic university. (laughs) So uh, sometimes, you know, parents need to make decisions like that and give guidance like that, you know, tough love. And uh, so I decided, well, as long as I had to go to a Catholic university, I'm going to go as far away from home as I possibly can get. Now, in those days... Indiana seemed like the far west, you know, and, and my and my parents were very concerned when I went to Notre Dame in Indiana that uh, they weren't going to have good Italian restaurants or good Jewish delicatessens and that just there's going to be inferior canned tuna fish that they sent out to the Midwest. And, <laughs> that, yeah, no, you know that, that, that New York cartoon where you have New York and New Jersey and then you have the rest of the country, yeah. you know, thing. And, you know, now they call us flyover territory and my wife says, I hope they keep flying over. <laughs> I hope they don't land here. You know? Exactly. So anyway, at Notre Dame, I was started searching for deeper answers about why be a Catholic, and I was becoming intermittent and in going to church and eventually became a philosophy major because I, I wanted to just know what the truth was and was getting more and more confused. It was the 60s. I was getting caught up in the confusion of the 60s. And then uh, this is where I'm getting to the answer to your question. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Good a, intro. Friend, a friend invited me to make a cursio, ah. which is a, a weekend retreat that a, a lot of Catholics have gone to. And I was very, very skeptical about uh, getting anything out of it. I thought, you know, hey, I'm a philosophy major. What can I learn from people who aren't philosophy majors? You know, God forgive me for that horrible <laughs> arrogance. <laughs> Uh, and, and when I went on the, the cursio, I said, you know, people are going to have this warm human experience and they're going to call it God, but I'm not going to fall for it. But uh, thank God I, I fell for it. <laughs> you know, I heard some really beautiful explanations of the Catholic faith. And more than that, though, I, I heard these ordinary Catholic lay people, you know, school teachers and janitors and shoe salesmen and whatever. Uh, talking about Jesus, and that really challenged me because I thought either these people are kind of crazy or imbalanced, or they have a relationship with him that I don't have, and it was it was a struggle. 
because at a certain point I felt like, you know, I, I think he's here in this retreat house. You know, I, I think he's real. I, I think he really has been raised from the dead. And I knew that if, if that was the case, he really is the Lord. And I also knew that if Jesus really is the Lord, the only sensible response to make to him is total surrender. And mm. I, I wow. didn't want to total surrender. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't want my search for the truth to come to such an abrupt end. I, I was looking forward to many enjoyable years of searching for the truth on my own terms, you know. And uh, I knew, though, that if Jesus was Lord, I had to either say yes or no and God gave me the grace to say yes, and on the very last morning of the Curcio, I uh, humbled myself, thanks be to God, I got the grace to do that, and went to confession, got reconciled with the Lord and the church. And looking back on it, I say what happened then is I really renewed my baptismal commitments, you know, mm -hmm. like as an adult. But then something else happened at the very end of the Curcio. Uh, as the Curcio ended, I just felt this love of God being poured into my heart, like Romans chapter 5 talks about the love of God being poured into their hearts. I, I didn't know the scripture passage at the time. I just experienced this love being poured into my heart, and this kind of fire got ignited in me. And and I, I just, at the, at the end of the Christina, they give people a chance to say what they got out of it. And I remember what I said. I said, I want to spend the rest of my life knowing and loving the Lord and helping other people know and love him. And that's pretty much the rest of the story. Mm. That, that's, that's, that's kind of what the Lord put in my heart, and that's what I've been doing. And I, I didn't even know anything about the Catholic Charismatic Renewal at the time, but about a month afterwards, I was praying one day, and I just began to make some sounds that I didn't know what they were, and... Uh, you know, so I stopped doing it. I said, I think I'm going off the deep end. I'm going to stop. You know? Bless your mind. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then the Catholic Charismatic Renewal began, and we got connected with the first people involved in that in Pittsburgh. And I said, oh, that's what that must have been. That must have been speaking in tongues. And so I think I got baptized in the Spirit, as, as the Catholic Charismatic Renewal describes it, without knowing the terminology. And I think the Lord did that for a purpose, because this experience of the love of God coming into our heart is supposed to be for everybody. Uh, this experience of the Holy Spirit uh, igniting in us love for Jesus is supposed to be for everybody. And so I think the Lord wanted me to experience not connected with the Catholic Charismatic Renewal, but just surrendering my life to the Lord. And so I, I, that's just been important for me. So I got very involved in the Catholic Charismatic Renewal and ended up moving to Belgium for four years and living there. And But for many, many years now, my goal hasn't been to spread the Catholic Charismatic Renewal, but to actually just spread the Catholic life, which mm -hmm. is supposed to be charismatic. You know, it's supposed to be the Catholic Church is supposed to be post-Pentecostal, not pre-Pentecostal. Mm -hmm. You know, the disciples before Pentecost had the best education anybody ever had. They had the best Bible study. They had the best spiritual direction. They had the best religious education. They had the best apostolic supervision by Jesus, mm -hmm. but but they still didn't get it. And so in, in Luke chapter 24, just before Jesus ascends to the Father, he reminds them again how all the Scripture points to him. But then he says, I don't want you to try to carry out the mission yet. Stay in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of my Father. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you'll be my witnesses. And uh, that's what happened. They, they were afraid. They didn't know how to put it all together. They had a lot of stuff in their head that they couldn't put together about Jesus. 
uh, and they were living lives of personal holiness to a certain extent. But it wasn't until the Holy Spirit came on them at Pentecost that their hearts got ignited on fire, mm. that they kind of, it all came together and said, yes, Jesus really <laughs> is the Lord. Yes, he really is. Let's tell people about him because this is the most important thing that's ever happened on the face of the earth. So uh, that's, that's what I just want to tell people about, that the Catholic life is a life of total surrender to Jesus, total openness to the Holy Spirit, total confidence in the Father's love, and a tremendous desire for other people to be reconciled with God and end up in heaven rather than hell. So that's, that's the rest of the story. That is great. Well, I was, I was going to say, let's cut the interview off right now. You just hit every point that makes any salient sense to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those who cannot see Dr. Martin, because we're on a Zoom call with him, his fire for the Holy Spirit for our church is incredible. I mean, his hands are flying all over the place. He's really excited about it. And I think what I love about what you said, and what I've loved about what you've done for so many years is truth, number one. You keep pointing back to the scripture is the truth. It is Christ in word, in all his deeds. The catechism is truth. And you keep pointing back to the truth of, you know, our baptism is the beginning. Our confirmation is an extension. However, there's this enlivening of a spirit that, frankly, most of us as Catholics don't experience because we've either been told that died with the apostles or we were told that's, you know, really crazy stuff. Um, but I love the fact that you brought truth forward. And if you don't mind, um, in 1982, I think it was, you wrote the first book, Crisis of Truth, which um, now the uh, St. John Paul II called you to Rome, if I remember correctly, blessed the book and said, you need to keep telling this truth to everybody, which is awesome. And then you followed it up with a church in crisis of pathways forward. Can you talk about briefly why you wrote the two books and why in today's world you think the church in crisis is so relevant and something you want to bring forward? Sure. Well, when I was living in Belgium between 1976 and 1980, and I just was really getting concerned about a lot of the confusion going on in the Catholic Church at the time. I was reading a lot of articles and Catholic newspapers and taking classes at the University of Louvain there. And there was a lot of watering down of the faith going on. There's a lot of crazy stuff being published. You know, uh, you know, there there were Catholic moral theologians who were saying, you know, maybe, you know, a lot of things happened to change with Vatican II, but maybe the changes didn't go far enough. Maybe we need to revise our understanding about marriage and family life. And, you know, maybe if people really love each other, it's not really always gravely sinful to have sex outside of marriage and so on and so forth. And And then a lot of missionary orders were kind of basically saying, well, since it's since there's rays of truth and light and, and seeds of the gospel in all the world religions, maybe we don't really need to carry out the missionary work anymore. Maybe we should just focus on making this world a better place to grow in and things like that, you know, peace and justice. And so I say, you know, there's something wrong here. Mm-hmm. So that really that that really made me kind of dig into what the church really teaches and what the grounds for it is. And so when I came back to the United States in 1980, I gave a series of talks in the St. Paul, Minneapolis area called a Church, a Crisis of Truth. The subtitle for the book that eventually was published two years later is called The Attack on Faith, Morality, and Mission in the Catholic Church. And, you know, to this day, I still run into people who said, that book saved my faith, that book saved my priesthood. Uh, we just had Monsignor Charles Pope out here in Ann Arbor for a seminar for priests and deacons and bishops a couple of weeks ago. And before he began his talk, he said that book 
save my vocation, you know, and just I just run into people all the time saying, when you hear what the truth is and when the deception is identified, you can really, a new freedom can come into your life, a new confidence. Well, with John Paul II and then with Pope Benedict, it seemed like a lot of that confusion got addressed. You know, a lot of theologians got admonished. Yeah. Uh, Hans Kuhn got identified as not really a reliable Catholic theologian. Some of the liberation theologians from Latin America got corrected. So there's a lot of stuff that uh, the Pope published, uh, very tough to splendor, renewing the church's teaching about grave sin really is possible, and it really is possible to do grave sin, and that we better not do it. It's very bad. Uh, and, and so it looked like that all had got settled down. But then, uh, for some reason, after Pope Francis got elected, and I'm not knocking Pope Francis here, for some reason, after Pope Francis got elected, it seemed like it all came out of the woodwork again. You know, I know, I know Pope Francis wants to open dialogue and wants discussion going on in the church. I think a lot of people have taken that as an invitation to, well, maybe all this stuff can be reexamined again. Maybe things are up for grabs again. Mm. And, you know, Pope Francis says he personally believes everything that's in the catechism, but a lot of times he does say things that seem a little bit confusing and maybe even contradictory. And so I think a lot of confusion has kind of like unfolded in the church today. So when COVID hit last year, uh, all my international travel got canceled. Uh, all my domestic travel got canceled. And I felt like the Lord wanted me to address the renewal of this confusion. And uh, so I was able to write the book, A Church in Christ's Pathways Forward. And uh, it was published on the feast day of John Paul II, October 22nd last year. So it's just a little over a year. And it's uh, it, it's it's made a big impact. Just this week, it was the number one audio book for Catholic books on Amazon. It was number 39 in all Catholic books. Uh, I was on Matt Frad's uh, podcast this week at Steubenville, and he told everybody to run out and buy it right away, you know, that type of thing. So it's just sort of like uh, the first time he had me on right after the book was published, he bought 100 copies of it himself to give away to listeners. So there's just a lot of people oh, who are really been impacted by the book and really feel like it's helping them put a name on the confusion, the anxiety, fear that's going on in the world today and reaffirm them in the truth of the faith. Mm. So if listeners, if you were just joining us, you are hearing the voice of Dr. Ralph Martin. We are honored to have him here on the family room today. And we're talking about his new book, A Church in Crisis, Pathways Forward. And we would also recommend that you go and get it as well. We've we've enjoyed the book. We actually watched your um, your your video with Matt as well. And that was a, an amazing interview. That was great. A couple of things that you said really struck me. First of all, I was smiling the whole time you were talking about your personal formation and going through Curcio because the same thing happened to me at 23. I went to Curcio mm -hmm. and it changed my life. Um yeah. And like De you said, De Caloris, De Caloris. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's what they say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All, all our listeners who went to Christy know, know exactly what we just said. The rest of you. Yeah. Try it out. So, but one of the things that you struck me with struck was you said you were searching for truth on your own terms. And it seems like that's what a lot of people are doing. And, you know, both of your books are addressing the confusion and the confusion about what truth is and what truth isn't. And I love when you just said, when deception is identified, we are, we are given more freedom and confidence. So that's when, you know, here in the family room, we have people who want to guide their, their children. They want to guide their, um, all their family members to Christ, to the truth. 
But they say, how can I do it when the world is coming against us? And that's happening right now that you detail in this book, the growing hostility to the church um, from a lot of the secular society. And especially because people are afraid of what truth really is, or they don't understand what truth really is. And can you give some examples or speak a little bit to just how we how we go about um, facing up to that and how we stay strong in the midst of the fact that we've got this hostility that's coming, coming toward us. Yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, chapter two of the book is called, is there a solid place to stand? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what a lot of people are wondering today. Where, where can I get my footing? Where can I get my bearings? Where, where can, what can I stand on? And it's a book devoted to recovering our confidence in the inspiration and inerrancy of sacred scripture. Mm-hmm. Now, a couple of years ago in Rome, during the uh, sentence on the family, uh, a reporter asked the head of the Jesuit order, Father Sosa, a question saying, why is there so much confusion about this issue? Uh, you know, isn't Jesus really clear in the scripture about the purpose of marriage and family life and how what God has joined together, no man should put asunder, so on and so forth? And Father Sosa answered by saying, well, how do we really know what Jesus said? Was anybody there with a tape recorder? Mm. This is terrible. This is wicked. This is undermining people's confidence in us being able to actually reliably access what God has revealed to us, which is horrible. Once you undermine our ability to actually know God's will and know who Jesus really is and know what Jesus really said, you know, anything goes. And that's what a lot of people want to do. They want to kind of cut our ties with the revelation that's been given to us by God so that they can push the church and push us in directions that are more suitable for being friends with the contemporary culture. And that's really, really bad. The readings of the liturgy today and yesterday are about Tremendous pressure coming from secular forces to accommodate to the culture, mm-hmm. to uh, to uh, join the new world religion that the emperor wanted to do, you know, uh, to kind of all kind of erase our differences and give up our uniqueness and no longer believe like in the Judeo revelation, you know, at that time. And there's tremendous pressure in our culture to do that right now. So. We got to recover our confidence in, in the inspiration and mercy of Scripture. And Vatican II actually teaches how us Catholics should approach sacred Scripture. Uh, in, in the document uh, on sacred revelation, uh, and, and what it says in section 11, it says, everything asserted by the sacred authors should be considered to be asserted by the Holy Spirit, to be asserted by God. It says that the primary author of sacred scripture is God, and that uh, and that th- he uses human instruments, he uses human language, he uses human culture, but God is the primary author of sacred scripture. And then it goes on to say that everything asserted by the sacred authors should be considered to be asserted by the Holy Spirit and to teach firmly, faithfully, and without error those truths that God wished to consign to the sacred scriptures for the sake of our salvation. So this is absolutely critical. What's been revealed in the teaching and deeds of Jesus is there for our salvation, and it's been reliably written down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by eyewitnesses, by people who were there, who people who could say, we saw, we touched, we heard. And when they had to elect a successor to the apostles, they, the criteria for electing a successor to Judas who betrayed Christ was somebody who's been with us from the beginning 
and was a witness to the resurrection. So these are reliable eyewitnesses writing down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit what Jesus said and done and what's there for our salvation. So the place to stand to begin with is recovering our confidence uh, in the truthfulness of sacred scripture. And this could be applied to family life. Mm -hmm. Like it'd be really good for families just maybe briefly to uh, take one of the daily readings from the liturgy, like that little booklet, the Magnificat that has the you know morning prayer and has the, you know, the readings from the liturgy, even if you can't get the mass every day and just taking one of those readings, uh, you know, and, and then just maybe commenting onto the children saying, look, Look what look what God's saying to us here. It's showing how you reverence the scripture, showing how you believe it, showing how it's a lifeline for us, how it's the pathway that Jesus is going to bring us back to the Father's house. So but of course everything that the Catholic Church teaches comes from scripture and it's carried forward in tradition and the how it got applied by the apostles is carried forward and it's there in the catechism of the Catholic Church. So we got a tremendously solid place to stand, but we got to kind of rebuke this deception. We've got to kind of cast out this demon of of suspicion and cynicism and mistrust and confusion and reaffirm our gratitude to God for revealing to us the path to salvation. Amen. Mm-hmm. Preach. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we have like two minutes left, uh, Dr. Martin, and, and just... You struck on something. You said, hey, maybe you just read a little scripture from like Living Faith or Magnificat just to your children. Um, we're going to talk about some things in the family room after we come back from our break. But um, the church and, and, and our mass, everything that we have today in our liturgy are all just just full of scripture references. The scripture is there all day, every day. What are some things that, that, that we can tell our listeners? Hey, do something, do these things every little, every day, just little things. To, to make that fruit uh, ripen and, and, and bear more fruit? Well, every, every person today really needs to be developing their relationship with the Lord. Uh, not to go forward is to almost guarantee to be swept away by the culture. So everybody needs to struggle to have a daily per- personal prayer time. They need to take some time every day uh, and, and just to be with the Lord just to uh, open our mind and heart to him, just to pay attention to him, just to ask him to help us love him more, just to ask him to help us in what's coming up in the day. Morning's the best time to do it. Some people can't do it then. Find some other time, your lunch hour. Uh, most people who wait till they go to bed fall asleep in prayer, but that's okay too. St. <laughs> Therese fell asleep every time she went to pray, but she says she wasn't discouraged because God loved her even while she was sleeping. So the important thing is to keep showing up, to keep pointing in God's direction, and having a time for daily prayer, spiritual reading uh, is really, really important. Even if you only make it 50% of the time or 70% of the time or 80% of the time, it's so much better than not making it any other time. Seek and you will find. Awesome. Yes. That is great. So we are heading to break now, listeners. So if you please stay tuned and you'll get to hear more of Dr. Ralph Martin on the other side of the break. You are here with us in the family room. We'll be right back. We'll come right back to the family room right after this. Our Lord told St. Gertrude the Great that the following prayer will release a thousand souls from purgatory each time it is said. The prayer is extended to include living sinners as well. 
Eternal Father, I offer thee the most precious blood of thy divine Son, Jesus, in union with the Masses said throughout the world today, for all the holy souls in purgatory, for sinners everywhere, for sinners in the universal church, those in my own home and within my family. Amen. The Quest presents Mom Minutes with Cameron Frad from Among the Lilies. I was at Mass a while back and my child was about three years old and I was trying really hard to keep them in the pew and quiet. You know how it is, ladies, right? When you're wrestling with little kids. Well, he was about to lose it and he's like, I know, I know. And he starts getting restless and he starts, of course, it's a moment of like consecration and he starts yelling, I know it's Jesus. So my husband picks him up and that's running down the aisle and my three-year-old is yelling, it's really Jesus's body and blood out the door. I was mortified. I go to apologize to the priest after. I'm praying. I'm like, oh God. I'm like, I'm so sorry, Father. Please forgive me. And he's like, no, are you kidding? You're a little guy. I need to apologize to you. That was the Holy Spirit. I've been praying, Lord, how can I teach my parishioners to know that it's truly you present in the Eucharist? So you may think that you're dealing with just a crazy wild toddler, but it could be the Holy Spirit working in and through him. For more homegrown wisdom, visit thequestatlanta.com. Please join us in a prayer to St. Michael the Archangel. Name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in the battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Hosts, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Listening to AM 1160 The Quest at home just got easier. Join The Quest with Alexa. Search for us on the Alexa app or say Alexa, enable the Quest skill. After enabling the skill, simply say, Alexa, open the Quest. Now joining the Quest. Let us offer a prayer of thanksgiving for the priests serving in the Archdiocese of Atlanta. Eternal God, we thank you for the blessings of our priests who represent you on this earth. Make them more greatly aware of the grace that you pour out through them as they minister the sacraments and help them to fall more deeply in love with you after each and every Mass that is celebrated. Please strengthen them so that they may lovingly and courageously shepherd your flock. May we support the priests in the Diocese of Atlanta by offering them kind words, deeds, and assistance. We thank you, God, for the gift of your priests. Allow them to remain an example of your truth and a guide to all those he is entrusted to serve. We ask these things of you, our Lord, our eternal priest. Amen. When you stop to think about it, it was pretty bold for AM 1160 The Quest to present the teachings of the Catholic Church in a culture that is so worldly and material. But it reflects one of the key principles embraced by AM 1160 The Quest. We are committed to presenting quality, faithful Catholic teaching in season and out of season. If you've delayed supporting Atlanta Catholic Radio AM 1160 The Quest, now is the time that we need you. Call 678-688-4549 or show your support at thequestatlanta.com. Please join us in a parent's prayer to St. Monica. St. Monica, patron of Christian mothers, we entrust to your protection the children whose names you can read in our hearts. Pray for them that they may be granted strength to combat weakness, give them victory over temptations, guidance to resolve their doubts, and success in all their undertakings. May they enjoy health of mind and body, see beauty and worth in all created things, and serve the Lord with firm faith, joyful hope, and enduring love. Amen. 
The Quest presents A Daily Dose of Virtue with Jay Tremonti from Venture with Virtue. Do you find it easy to do the right thing? What about when no one's looking? Making good decisions and acting on them is what virtue is all about. But the pressure of stress, temptation, and vice constantly try to pull us away from doing the right thing. That's when we're at our weakest. Do you wish there was something to help you overcome these weaknesses? Make a good decision and do the right thing? Good news, there is. It's called accountability. Sometimes our desire to be virtuous and do good is not enough for us to actually do the right thing. Having a friend or family member hold us accountable can make all the difference. When we know we have to answer to someone else for our decisions and actions, we actually think more critically, make a good decision, and act in line with the person we want to be, even when we're weak. For more homegrown wisdom, visit thequestatlanta.com. Welcome back to the family room on The Quest. The charismatic renewal did enliven that, what I'll call love affair type of a thing where you like wake up in the morning and your heart goes, this, this guy's real. You know, this is, this is a real part of my life. And when you, you know, I mean, some people overplay the whole idea of, well, they're speaking in tongues. That's really weird. Um, You know, the gift of healing. Well, those guys are all faking it or, you know, my mother was in the prophetic word. That's kind of what it was when you were in Cleveland, she was on the prophetic word team. You know, you, you start to see that though and experience it. And it's amazing what God is willing to do, but mm. how poorly, and I'm raising my hand, I'm willing to fully surrender to all that as well, kind of going, I really wanted God, but I still like doing these things that I really probably shouldn't do, you know, saying a bad word here or there, or off-color jokes. And, um, you know, one of the things we're going to talk about, though, is I think, to your point, feels like we're living back in Jerusalem with the church at that point in time, we feel like we're back in this this reset of, you know, the, the pagan society. And it feels like Christ is coming saying the exact same thing he said 2,000 years ago. Repent, give me everything you got, and I want to pour that Holy Spirit out on you. Yeah. But you guys have to be open to it. No, oh, by the way, there's a small remnant that are going to accept that. There's a whole other that won't. But I need that remnant in which you've represented for 30 years plus now. Yeah. So, hey, I, I really agree, Craig. I think you should preach it. <laughs> now, yeah, I've been listening to you for way too long. I get your weekly notes. I get everything. And like yeah. I said, yeah. my mother, she's 92. God love her. And she was sending me before I signed up and was getting your emails and everything. Have you been listening to Ralph again? Here's what Ralph has to say. You better listen to Ralph. And I'm like, God love her. But it's true. <laughs> we should have her on here today. Yeah. yeah. Tell her hello for me, okay? If I tell her that, she might not make it to 90. She may pass out. <laughs> Wait, tell him your mom's name so he can pray for her. Uh, it's Ruth. Her first name is Ruth. Same last okay. name. Yeah. Okay, God bless Ruth. Well, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Okay, okay, so I'm really sad because none of that was actually taped because that was awesome, Craig. <laughs> actually, I was taped. <laughs> you were taping it, so we might be able to figure out how to put that in there. Yeah. Folks, welcome back to the family room. Uh, we're here with uh, Dr. Martin. And uh, Dr. Martin, one of the things that we do uh, as part of our family room tradition is we ask our guests to share a family memory, a favorite family memory, whether it was from growing up or your current family scenario. And we would love to hear your a Martin family memory. Well, you, you warned me in advance, so I had a chance to think about this, but it didn't take much thinking because I had a very special experience last Thursday. Uh, we have uh, five daughters and one son, and the only 
they're, and they're all married. And the only daughter that lives near us lives there here in Michigan. And uh, she and her husband have five children from about 14 to about a year and a half. Mm. And so uh, my daughter teaches part-time at a, a school here in town. My son works for a Michigan municipality about an hour from here. And so uh, my wife helps out a couple of days a week, babysitting the year and a half old little girl. And, uh, and then her sister who also lives in the area here, babysits some other days during her school class times. But this Thursday, my wife couldn't do it and her sister couldn't do it. And so uh, they asked if I could do it. <laughs> now, I had meetings solidly booked from 11 to 1. That's the only, like, fixed things I couldn't change in my schedule that day. They were like a staff meeting at our office. And my daughter needed somebody from 8 o'clock to 10.30, and then she needed to go back to school from uh, 1 o'clock to about 3. So uh, I actually could do it. And so I kind of volunteered to do it, but I was nervous about it. As so you should be. <laughs> yeah. I haven't changed a diaper in a long time. And, and uh, what, are, you know, what am I going to do with her? You know, what am I going to do with her? You know, you know, and, and my daughter said, well, she likes to read books and, you know, she likes to take walks in the stroller. And so I was hoping it would all go okay. So what happened is I got there in the morning and uh, my daughter left, so it's just me and Maggie, and uh, she's a cute little girl, like like every little girl is really. And uh, and uh, I started reading her stories, but I could see she was like slightly tired, you know. Like, could she possibly be ready for a morning nap already? And so I said, Maggie, would you like to take a little nap? And she can say yes and no now, real clearly, but she didn't say either. So uh, I th- I took that as a maybe. <laughs> So I said, she didn't say yes, and she didn't say no, which means that it's a possibility. So I decided to move into a place where if she fell asleep, you know, I could, you know, have her fall asleep in a decent place rather than whatever. So I went into her parents' bedroom, and the bed wasn't made because they're they're busy parents. So I propped up the pillows, and uh, Maggie and I began to read a story in her parents' bed. And uh, sure enough... Uh, very quickly, she fell asleep in my arms, like like with oh. my arm around her, you know. So, oh, sweet. I'm kind of I'm not wanting to move very much, you know, and I don't want her to wake up. So, she actually slept there for an hour and a half, <laughs> <laughs> and and it was a very moving experience for me because I just had this tremendous, you know, feeling of love for her. And uh, just like almost like meditating and contemplating the Lord's goodness and looking at her and uh, what, a, what an amazing thing that God created human beings and uh, how much love he's given me and my wife and her parents and others for her and how much, uh, how precious she is. And then, then I also felt like, I, I remember that, that verse from scripture where it says, even the Lord says, even if your mother forgets you, I will never forget you. So mm-hmm. I was thinking, you know, as much as I love Maggie, and I love her a lot. This is, I'm really feeling the love now. <laughs> uh, uh, how much more does God love us? That's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, like, you mean, God loves me 
even more than I love Maggie. And that's, that's a lot, you know, and I just kind of like thinking about that. And then also thinking about how the beloved disciple, John was resting his head on the chest of Jesus mm-hmm. on the heart of Jesus. And that's where she was resting her head on my heart, you know? And I, I was just feeling like, wow, you know, the Lord really wants us to trust him and, and be at peace in his care just like Maggie's at peace and trusting me, every now and then she'd look up to see whose whose chest she was lying on, <laughs> making sure it was an okay person. You know, type of thing. But and then the Lord wants us to rest our heart on on His heart, you know, our head on His heart, just like Maggie was resting her head on my heart. And so it's just a very moving experience. I didn't fall asleep. I was just sort of like there experiencing God's love for me and God's love for her and my love for her, you know, just that whole kind of thing of John chapter 17, where, you know, mm-hmm. I'll be in you and you'll be in me. We'll love each other. <laughs> You're going to be loved just like the father's love. Just like the father loved me. I'll love you. And the father will love you. And I felt like all that was, all that was going on, you know? And so it was very, very special. And, and then her mother came home and then I had the afternoon shift too. <laughs> uh, and, uh, her mother delivered me to my her to my office, where we were just finishing up a going away staff luncheon for one of our workers for renewal ministries who's leaving, and we were running late and we just had the dessert, and so uh, her mother Perfect turned her over to me. <laughs> Sugar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Her mother turned her over to me and said she's probably going to cry. But she didn't cry. I think she remembered that I loved her from the morning. Mm. And so she just sat on my lap and I had this chocolate cream pie for dessert. <laughs> and she she kept pointing her finger towards the cream pie and the chocolate cream pie. And so she was having the cream from the chocolate cream pie and had a little piece of Panera bread there. So I was taking out the soft spot, you know, the bread to feed her. And she just stayed there for a half hour, even though she, there were 20 people around that were strangers that she didn't know. So then we went back to the house and we, you know, read more books and she played with some magnets on the refrigerator door. And then she went over to a little corner of the kitchen where my wife has a little, little kitchen set up and, and there was time to take her back to her mom. So there, I, 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 what, what I was really nervous about, you know, it just turned out to be a very special, very wonderful experience. I, I think the Lord's merciful to me too, but you know, he, he really, Made it easy. I didn't have to change her either. Good for you, man. I don't. I don't think I had to change her. <laughs> well, yeah, somewhere in there, like beating, banging around the back of my head is like that was just like most of St. John's Gospel. Yep. And mm. like all the way down mm. to feeding in the bread, and 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 Jesus oh. came just so we could be physical and physical with him, right, man? Yeah. Hmm. Well, I, I didn't think about that. I didn't think about that connection. Ooh. Yeah. But so, you know what you also brought to mind for me was right before the break, you were encouraging our listeners to get in the word, you know, and as we know, the word of God is the sword of the spirit. It, you know, it does so much for us. And, and there's the abundant life that's in there. The, the whole gospel of John, that's actually here on the family room. That's part of our, our mission is that people would understand that love of God and that, 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 that Christ wants to, them to live abundant life. And, and so you just painted a beautiful picture of what abundant life looks like, because it looks like living your life, knowing how much you're loved by God and being thankful and grateful for what God is giving us. And he fills us when we're able to do that. But the other thing is the reason you had such wonderful, beautiful, rich experience with God is because you knew his word. 
because mm-hmm. as you as you laid there with Maggie in your arms, you were reflecting on all the words that God had placed in your heart and they came to your mind. And so yeah. thank you for walking us through. That's what it means to be, you know, to be fully in God and God's will is to let him fill us with his word so that at those moments that we're in our family rooms and we're in our homes, that we're experiencing his word and his truth. Um, just in our lives. That's, that's true. You know, you're 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 adding more insight to what I experienced. That's true because, you know, one of the things that Jesus does say in John's Gospel, he says the Holy Spirit will remind you of what yeah. I said, and we we see that happening next to the apostles. But that's what ha- that happened to me. There, I, I remind reminded of how the Lord said, even if your mother mm-hmm. abandoned you, I'll never abandon you. And then the John's Gospel. So yeah, that's true. Unless God's word is in us, it's hard for us to remind us of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, but it's so wonderful when his word is there and the Holy Spirit then has something to kind of remind us of that, that helps us understand our current circumstances, our experience. Yeah, it's an interesting going back to that current circumstance um, in the break. I had mentioned and, and you and I were talking a little bit about how um, the word was made flesh. OK, and Christ came at a point in time in history where the church at that time, was kind of in a shambles a little bit. They were down the wrong path. They had a government system that was dictating things that everybody's like, it's oppressive. It's this, and we got to get out of here. And God showed up as the word made flesh to simply say, I love you. All of you that are cast outs because of, of um, the thought of you sinned, and that's why you're a leper or whatever. Christ loved him. He hugged him. He kissed him. At the same time, he said, guys... You know, knock on the forehead. You got to wake up. You got to quit doing these things. You got to trust me. You got to believe in me. And I believe it's in um, one of your chapters called The Time for Repentance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we have all failed to recognize that when we're called to repentance in our personal lives and as a church, that's God loving us. That's God calling us to this loving relationship that says, you're drifting from me. You know, the, the Maggie story, you're no longer on my chest. You're now about ready to fall off the bed. You're about ready to go out the door. And he keeps pulling you back, kind of saying, hey, come on back. Can you, I don't, I don't know how you want to maybe phrase this. Can you talk about, though, God's call to us to repent as a church and as an individual and again, that hopefulness of what does that really mean for our church and for us, if, if that's a yeah. clear enough question. <clears throat> yeah. Well, particularly about marriage and family life, uh, there's so much confusion today. And I say there's so much accommodation in the church. Priests are afraid to tell the truth about marriage and sexuality. A lot of them are. A lot of bishops are. They they know that it's not a popular thing. They're, they even kind of know deep down that half their people may have gone over to the world already and, and really believe what the world believes rather than what Christ has revealed. So one, one of the really important things to get clear about regarding repentance is what is really revealed to us about the meaning of, of marriage and sexuality. Uh, like First Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, don't let anybody deceive you. The immoral will not enter the kingdom of God. The fornicator, the adulterer, the person who engages in homosexual activity, the thief, the robber, the greedy, the idolater, the drunkard will not enter the kingdom of God. And so this is like very, very clear. It's that clear assertion of sacred scripture that we know is 
inspired and inerrant, and we also know it's there for our salvation. It isn't like Jesus and the apostles want to keep us from having fun. Jesus and the apostles <laughs> want to lead us to the true meaning of human sexuality, the true meaning of marriage, and any exercise of sexuality outside of a marriage between a man and a woman open to life is is a grave uh, offense uh, to God's purpose and the beautiful gift of sexuality, the beautiful gift of being able to participate in bringing new life. And and 1 Corinthians 6 isn't an isolated text, and, it, and it's also all of this is in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, but Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, I, I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do these things will not enter the kingdom of God. So mm-hmm. this is a matter of more than life or death. This is a matter of heaven or hell. This is a matter of eternal life or eternal separation from God. Or Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, the impure person will not enter the kingdom of God, and that's why the wrath of God is breaking out against the disobedient. Or, or one more text, Romans chapter 21. Uh, you know, G- Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. And this is important to hear because persecution is coming, you know. Mm-hmm. We, uh, and, and when he says, don't be afraid of those who kill the body, he also says, those who deny me before men will be denied before my Father in heaven. So we don't want that to happen. So Jesus is saying, persecution's coming, but don't be afraid. And they say, don't even prepare in advance what you're going to say when they bring you before judges and kings, because mm-hmm. at that time, the Holy Spirit will give you what you are to say. He'll give you the wisdom you need at that moment. But the only reason, the only way we cannot be afraid of those who can kill the body is to know that we have the promise of eternal life. That Jesus has said, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me, even if he dies, won't die. So what really we need to be afraid of is not the first death, not biological death. Biological death for a Christian is a doorway to the Father's house, maybe with some purification and purgatory. But that's good. It means we've made it. But Revelation chapter 21 says, be afraid of the second death. Mm. The second death is the lake of fire. Who's in the lake of fire? Cowards. Whoa. Ouch. <laughs> you know, cowards, you know, like those who maybe deny Jesus. So we need to ask God to give us the strength not to deny Jesus. Fornicators, it's not just living together. It's fornication. It's a grave violation of God's plan for human sexuality. And that murderers, and how horrible it is that how popular it is amongst a huge part of our population, including Catholic political leaders who want to kill babies. Mm-hmm. It is a grievously wrong thing to advocate and support and make possible the killing of babies. That's murder. It really, really is murder. And murderers end up in the lake of fire, the second death. So I just hope that our bishops and our priests kind of have their own confidence in sacred scripture restored and and actually kind of ask God to deliver them from fearing people more than God and deliver them from pleasing people more than God and deliver them from being so much a friend of the world that they're an enemy of God. I just hope that the Lord infuses them with the Holy Spirit so they have the courage to speak the truth in love because all of this is love talk. There's nothing that Jesus says is mean or unfair or unjust. Everything he says is because he loves us and wants us to be with him and the Father forever. But we got we got to pay attention to what he says. We got to obey what he says. We got to kind of take a hold of him. We got to hang on to Jesus and Amen. let him bring us home to the Father's house. 
Exactly. Yes. Amen. Amen. You know, and um, if listeners, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Dr. Ralph Martin, and we're talking about a church in crisis pathways forward, and, and especially, especially those pathways forward, the ways that Christ is calling us back to him and how he has a path for us. We just have to the courage, take the courage to take the step on that path and do as well. And uh, Dr. Martin, I love how you just really helped us to see that link between God's incredible agape love and the opportunity to repent of sin because he doesn't want us to sin. He doesn't want us to fall into it. He wants us to understand what sin is. He wants us to know there really is hell. There really is a place where we're separate from him, which the world keeps trying to uh, obfuscate and make us not even believe is there at all. Um, but that's why he shares all that. I feel like we're, you know, you, you gave us some great uh, scripture to look back at. I also think Romans one, I, I feel like we're just yeah. watching and living Romans one over and over. Uh, yeah. yeah. Amen. I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, it's amazing. If you read some of those words and you see that truth, God is just going to pierce your heart. He really does pierce it with that truth. And he gives you then the courage, like you said, the courage that we all need to repent and be able to mm-hmm. repent because mm-hmm. through that, through that personal repentance, we're going to help our whole church to to repent as well. I mean, we are the church, but you know, our, our listeners always want to know what can we do. So so far you've shared with us, we need to repent. We need to get in his word. We need to let our let us let ourselves hear what he has to say to us, fill us with his love and with his hope and with his truth. Um one of the things you also mentioned in your book is that another role that we can play in order to really share responsibility for the church and help us to move this path forward is um, that we can be intercessory prayer warriors. Can you talk a mm-hmm. bit more about that? Yeah, well, in in one of the chapters of the book, I think it's called Powers, Principalities, and Organizations, it talks about that we are we're not just in a battle with political parties and international organizations opposed to Christ in the church, but this is a spiritual battle and that there's powers and principalities, there's real evil forces, spiritual evil forces that are really working through these human organizations and human instruments. And that in order to really be both protected from being swept away by them, but also in order to be equipped to kind of demolish strongholds in people's minds, we need the spiritual armor of God. So, you know, we need the helmet of salvation. We need to have a really strong relationship with the Lord. We need the breastplate of righteousness. We need to be growing in holiness. And particularly, we need the shield of faith. Mm -hmm. It says the shield of faith extinguishes the fiery darts of the evil one. So all day long, the evil one's firing fiery darts, taking advantage of our weak human natures, the results of original sin, our disordered desires, taking advantage of the culture and say, yeah, go ahead with the culture. It's too hard to oppose it. You won't get ahead in your company uh, unless you kind of kind of sign on to the woke culture, you know, the politically correct positions on things. And, and in order to resist that, we need the shield of faith. And the shield of faith is, first of all, faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. He is the Lord. He loves us. He speaks words of truth. But then also faith in the specific words he teaches. Because unless we have the exact teaching of Jesus, we don't have a basis for discerning truth from falsity. We don't have a basis of discerning which way leads to life and which way leads to death. And also cultivating that prayer relationship as Jesus says, my own know my voice and I know them, they know me, they, they hear my voice, they're accustomed to it. So that, that only grows over a period of time. A lot of people, as they grow in prayer, 
develop an instinct saying, I don't know what's wrong with this, but I don't feel, I don't feel like there's something right here. You know, I think there's something off here. Lots of people who have no theological education, if they have a re- relationship with the Lord and have some knowledge of his word and scripture, are, are, are equipped to say, you know, I, I don't think something's right here. You know, I don't think something was, you know, this isn't really what the Lord says. This is, this is a little murky. This is a little fuzzy. So we need to shield the faith to extinguish the firing darts of the evil one. And then we... Uh, need to have the the sword of the spirit which is the word of god which kind of demolishes strongholds and then paul ends by saying pray always Mm -hmm. and so we need to kind of not just restrict our relationship to the lord to our prayer time although the catechism of the catholic church says unless we pray sometimes it's hard to pray always so (laughs) pray sometimes and little by little you'll be praying more and more always you know over the course of a day and things like that saying a rosary when you're in a car or taking a walk or whatever Dr. Martin, this, I want to back up to your story of Maggie for a second and the idea of shield of faith. Because as I listen to you and I think back on the story that you shared, which was awesome, I imagine you on the bed and I imagine Maggie in your arms and I imagine your arm over her and on your arm is a shield of faith mm-hmm. to extinguish the fiery darts in your life and to protect her in this, as, as this tiny, tiny child. But she's going to grow up and, and her parents, uh, your daughter and, and son-in-law, or if I got that backwards, I apologize. Yeah, no, that's right. Okay. That's right. Um, they're, they're, they have to bring up Maggie and their other children. How how do you get that shield of faith that belongs to you, that it's on your arm? How do you raise your children and develop their own shield of faith? Well, my children are all grown now, but when we were, <laughs> when we were raising them, you know, we tried to get them connected with the solid parish, uh, go to mass with them, say grace with them, all the normal things that Catholic families do. Uh, Try to teach them as best we could. Some of them had detours along the way Mm -hmm. and we were very concerned with them and, you know, even praying and fasting for some that were really in in real danger, you know, heading in the wrong direction. But, you know, after a period of time, they've all, come back to the Lord. Some never left. And right now, all the children, all the grandchildren are, are practicing their faith, which is a, a total miracle. Mm. But I don't have a, I don't have a, a silver bullet. You know, you just kind of keep hanging in there. You just keep getting up every day, doing the best you can and never give up, never give up praying for your children, never give up loving them uh, fast when you have to, you know, uh, for, for their salvation, you know? Uh, so no, no, no formula, just hang in there, persevere, keep doing what seems good to you and develop your own relationship with the Lord so the Lord can lead you and guide you and give you things to do and not do. Sounds like good news to us. It does. So, Dr. Martin, we've got about two minutes left, and we would love to open it for you to give just any final words of hope and encouragement to our listeners as well as um, blessing us with a, with a prayer as well. So in these last couple of minutes, what would you sure. like to share? Well, I, I want to first tell people how they can get the book we've been talking about. Yep. And uh, we will you, have it in our show notes as well. Yes. Oh, that's great. Yeah, you can go to renewalministries.net and get it there through us. That's the best way. It helps us. You can also get it on Amazon.com. You can click on your smart cell phone or a drone <laughs> will drop it off this afternoon. <laughs> something like that. I just like to just say that there's tremendous reason for hope, even though we're facing tremendous difficulties, there's tremendous reason for hope because 
there's nothing happening that isn't happening under the providence of God. Mm-hmm. God is permitting even the bad things to happen because he's got a plan to bring good out of it, whether it's the judgment of the wicked or the repentance of the wicked or the purification of the church or the gathering of a remnant. He's got a plan to bring great good out of this, as scary as it is. Uh, and, and Jesus is Lord. I mean, that says it all. Amen. I mean, God's mm-hmm. in control. Well, Lord, I thank you for all the brothers and sisters who are listening right now, and I support your Holy Spirit in every family that's, that's represented in the in the audience of, of this wonderful program. And uh, I just ask you to protect them, inspire them, help them to take a concrete, practical step today to resist the devil so he will flee from them and reject deception and repent where repentance is necessary and grow in hope in the power and love of God for them and for their children. Amen. Amen. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. And again, folks, please join us again next week in the family room where we offer hope, encouragement, truth, and wisdom for families. God bless everyone. And again, thank you, Dr. Martin. Thanks for hanging out with us in the family room. For more info, go to thequestatlanta.com.